Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. When Stephen Marks landed, yep, Stephen Marks, that's our next guest, landed a job as a hedge fund manager at a top Wall Street hedge fund at just 23 years of age, he thought he'd made it. But by 30, he was burnt out and ready for a fresh start. So what did he do? He booked a one-way ticket, that is a New Yorker booking a one-way ticket right here to Australia, right here in Sydney, with a dream of starting his own business. In fact, he wanted to own a hotel. 17 years later, he's the co-founder and CEO of Guzman E. Gomez, the Mexican casual dining chain that had its origins right here in Australia. Since starting the business back in 2006, it's expanded across Australia, Singapore, and Japan, and now, I love this part, with plans for expansion into the great zone, that's the United States of America, this year. I'm going to ask Stephen about how he transformed the Guzman E. Gomez franchise, the business itself from a loss-making fast food chain to a $300 million empire, how he managed to keep the drive to open up new restaurants when he was losing money, how he found good, high-quality investors, and why he thought a good company culture and team rapport is so important to the success of the business and keeping the energy of the business in the business. It's something they believe in. This guy is a dynamo. This one is worth listening to. So let's get into it. Stephen, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks for having me, Mark. I appreciate being here. Okay, give me the accent. Tell me what we're doing here. Where are we from? Where are you coming from? I'm a New Yorker. My mom's originally from Brooklyn, and uh, it's very hard to lose the accent. And I've been here for 17 years. Even though I go home, they go, you sound like an Aussie. I'm like, really? <laughs> I, I mean, when you said New Yorker, you, know, you, put, you put emphasis on the Yorker yeah. part. And I guess that's something that um, Americans, when they're from New York, are quite proud of that, aren't they? Yeah, especially now, I think, with uh, what, what's happening in politics in the U.S. You're talking about Bloomberg? <laughs> yeah, or, or Trump. Or Trump. <laughs> I think New York is a, a different part of the U.S. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm, I'm proud to be, obviously, from the United States, but uh, but I'm a, I'm a true New Yorker, and which, then, which is an amazing place to grow up and live. And it's interesting, like, um, look, my perception anyway, could be wrong. I've been there a number of times, but my perception of a New Yorker is, um, for me, they're definitely different for the rest of Americans. I had a business in the Midwest in uh, Chicago, um, and uh, the difference between the attitude of people from Chicago, you hope none of them listening. <laughs> we just opened up our first store there. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're a different breed. Yes, they're from the Midwest. Totally different. Like, uh, like they're not even part of America, but uh, relative to the people on the other side. So, and Texans, they're all very different. New Yorkers have this get up and go sort of attitude, pretty energetic, 
nothing phases them. They're pretty cool. For me, they're pretty cool. Um, I wonder whether any of that sort of, if you go back to your childhood, any of that um, growing up, that experience, do you think any of that has helped you take your business to the miraculous sort of victories that you got to? Like, do you, how much of that do you think is part of your yeah. success? Well, I agree with you. I think New Yorkers are very cool. I mean, that's <laughs> a huge plus. But uh, but it's amazing. The street I grew up in New York and, and my mother grew up in Brooklyn and I grew up, uh, I was actually born in Queens and I grew up in a place called Long Island, which is right outside New York. But my street was amazing that I grew up on. We had Italians and Greeks and Iranians and Indians and, you know, and, and African-Americans and Latins. You had everybody and the one thing I love about New York and, and the attitude that it has is that everybody gives it a go. I mean, people there, I mean, they realize they came for a better life. And these guys worked hard. If it was like a fruit stand in town or it was a rug business or, I mean, whatever you wanted to do, they knew that if they worked hard and they, and they built a product and they had great work, man, they had a real opportunity to succeed. And, I, and, that, and that never left my, my mind. And, you know, I grew up seeing a lot of really good things and a lot of really bad things. But I, but one thing I learned growing up as a kid that doesn't matter where you're from, you know what I mean? You, you have ethics, you know, and you have drive and you can succeed. I, I, I really dine and not like, cause you know, Guzman and Gomez is a, it's a great franchise. I, I mean, it's, it's a great business. It's well known. And I'll come back to that, the business itself. But I really need to sort of scrub a little bit and get a little bit under your skin and find a little bit about you. Um, you just said you saw the best and the worst growing up in New York. Um, tell me about that. Like what's, what, tell me what the best is. What did yeah. you see that really resonates in your mind today that's stuck with you, that works? What was the best? And who, who showed you the best? I think sometimes the best is the worst, right? right. It's funny. I, I, my, and I think a lot of it comes from who your parents are. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes you, you get great parents so you know what to do and you get crappy parents and so you know what not to do, right? And to me, that's kind of the best lesson sometimes you learn in life. So my mother grew up in Brooklyn, in the, in the projects of Brooklyn, and my dad grew up in Miami Beach, uh, and he was a pool hustler. And, What's that? Uh, he uh, like, hustled uh, pool, billiards. Yeah, oh, yeah, so cool. He was, a, you know, he was a very interesting character. And they met in New York, and, um, and one thing that was very important for me is that my dad made money for like five minutes, and they bought this house where I grew up in, in a great part of town, in a, in a great town, it was called Port Washington, and my mom never let it go. My dad cut out when I was little, he was married five times, had all these kids, and eventually he died, he was an addict. He died, uh, he was a, he died of, a, of a pure addiction and he was homeless. So when I say I've seen bad stuff, like I know, I'm so grateful for my life and, and I think people look at things very differently. It's just, you know I mean? I think they think people that are successful come from success, successful backgrounds, but- And privileged. And privileged, and yeah. it's not the case. I think everybody that's, that, that has health, right, has the opportunity to do whatever you want. And I, and I saw that, like my mother, where she was brought up and what happened to my father, and the fact that I had, I had health, right, and I had opportunity, and, and, and that's my drive. Like my, my mother only wanted to have one kid, and my older brother was born, he was born with hydrocephalus, which is a, ma a massive water on your head. And, um, and they usually would die, you know, and, they, and it's amazing. He had these uh, neurosurgeons from Harvard develop these shunts that alleviated the water pressure. But she only wanted to have one kid and they thought he was gonna die and they went to have another kid and they had identical twins. So I'm an identical twin, right? So I grew up, my dad was a junkie. My mother was, I raised by a single mother. My older brother was handicapped and, and, and legally blind and I'm a twin. So I seen all these crazy things, you know, and then eventually my dad, you know, was homeless and, and, and died of crack addiction, but it shaped my life. So since we were little kids and my mother wanted to keep this house that we had, cause it was in a great school system in a, in a great district is that she worked hard and she said to us, A, remember I never wanted to have you two. She called us her investments, like kidding. I think that's the uh, Brooklyn humor. 
but don't ever embarrass me and work hard. Like, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Make sure you take it and run with it. And I think at eight years old, I remember having my first business, like shoveling driveways and selling T-shirts. I realized that this is my life, right? And, and, and to succeed in life, there's risk, but you can do whatever you want. What's the worst thing that ever happens to you? It doesn't work out. You know, but I know I've, I've seen bad, right? I, I, I've seen homelessness. I've seen drug addiction. I know I won't, that won't happen to me. So everything's upside. Well, I'm gonna, it's, you just hit on a really um, interesting nerve for me. Yesterday, I got, I got a note from someone on, he DM'd me on Instagram. I think it was a he. And he said to me, look, I've got these great businesses. I've done really well, but I've lost my mojo. And, you know, what, what would I recommend? Like, you know, um, so I just said, mate, I want you to go and um, watch a movie. And the movie's called Being There. And at the end of the movie, Peter Sellers, the character Peter Sellers, walks out on water and says, life is a state of mind. And I said to the guy, I wrote in the, in the back to him in the message, I said, I want you to tell me what you think he meant by that. And I think you just sort of explained it. It's, it's interesting. Um, where do you get that state of mind to make the choice to have a crack, have a go, don't give up, you know, and do it in a positive sort of a, a positive way. I mean, like as opposed to someone says, oh, it's all too hard, this is really difficult. Where, where does it come from? Where's the psychology come from? Is it your mum? Was, was it because she was always positive or is it because she saw something that your dad did that told you what not to do? I mean, is it what not to do or what it is or is it what you should do? Yeah, I mean, it's always a mixture of everything, right? You know, I, I, went to, I went to university in Philadelphia, a place called University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school, and they have the Wharton School there. And, uh, very and famous school. Very famous. Probably the best business school yeah. possibly in the world. Yeah. So I took my business classes there. I didn't graduate from Wharton. I actually graduated with a degree in international relations and economics. And I'll answer the question through this, is that all these big investment companies, Wall Street comes to Penn to recruit, right? Because you have all these smart kids out of Wharton and all. And I, and I was captain of the lacrosse team, you know, and, and, I, and I did well at school. And then this one guy showed up and his name was Stevie Cohen, who now the show Billions is based on him. And he had $30 million, on, $30 million under management and he was looking to recruit somebody. Which by the way, for those, not much. $30 million under yeah, management at the time. Yeah, back in 94, it's peanuts. It's shit nothing. all. Yeah. Even back then, it's not a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and he was building this hedge fund. And, and everybody in the hedge fund company knew how talented this guy was. So I ended up working with him. We had a team of psychologists that recruited us. Man, it was very, very intense and 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 I'm slightly intense as well. And, uh, and I ended up working with him. Stevie Cohen's now worth $15 billion. He built the most successful hedge fund business probably ever, you know, and, uh, and he's one of the smartest number of guys I've ever seen in my life. And I realize that there's two things in life, like because I've seen so much um, adversity from, from my dad and my brothers, and, and I, I, I built a lot of empathy. I got a soul, like I, and empathy is so important to me and I'm super competitive. And I think a lot of people think when you build a business, right, you know, you ha I think you have to be competitive. I'm probably one of the most competitive people you you've ever met, but I have to do everything the right way. So I learned from my dad what not to do, and I learned that I want to get out of my situations. So I have to be competitive. So it's amazing. I see a guy like Stevie Cohen, who's probably one of the most successful people of all time, and I saw my dad such a failure that I only see things sometimes that way. Either you have to be really successful or you're going to fail. And, uh, and I'm working on therapy to see maybe there's a middle ground. But that's where my drive comes is like, Stevie Cohen's one of the best traders. Somebody built McDonald's. Somebody built Chipotle. Man, I have the energy and I got the drive and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a rather smart kid. Why can I do that? And that's the way I see life is just that somebody else has built these amazing businesses and these companies. And if you think you have the ability and the talent and a product and, and, and able to lead people, don't you have to go for it? 
That's the way I see it, man. You live once, you know what I mean? And life can be taken from you. And if you have your health and you have your, your, the mental uh, capacity to do it, you got to go for it. And that's the only way I see life. So that's your state of mind. Your state of mind is I choose to have a state of mind where I'm going to take it on. And it doesn't matter if it's a shit, shit day. And I've had a lot of shit days. I like shit days. Okay, so I like what, being uncomfortable. Or, or give me an example of a shit day. I mean, so you, you choose to have a state of mind. For example, I love boxing, right? But I actually like it sometimes. Sometimes I just move, walk into the corner, back into the corner, I let the people hit me because I actually like getting hit. And, uh, I, and I, like, I sort of challenge myself, you know, like can I stop them from hurting me? You know, like uh, catch them, catch Sometimes I even let them hit me in the ribs because I like the feeling of it. It sounds a bit perverse. You're, and it's, but I do the same business too like you. Like I actually look at a day where I get beaten up and I get bashed up. I actually find it quite exhilarating because I choose to say it's exhilarating. I could also say, oh, that's not fair and it's wrong and it's, uh, you know, it hurts me. me. Why me? All that shit. Um, I know why I have my state of mind, but why do you think – I'm just trying to work out why you choose to have a state of mind that is positive and not the other way. What, what is it? What do you, I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I just always – so curious about people, why they choose that state of mind. What, and that's the difference between the successful business people, by the way, and people who aren't so successful. Yeah. And all the people that are successful have gone through a lot of pain, right? And I 100%. think that there's this saying I love, man, pressure is a privilege. Yeah. Right? To be under a lot of pressure, that's a privilege, right? Because obviously the road's ahead of you. But I love pain. I love it. And I, and, I, and I only can operate in pure discomfort because that's when people quit. Yeah, I'm a tough fucking kid, dude. Man, I like it, man. I, like, like you say, you get in that corner, you can hit me as much as you want. I'm coming back. Mm. Like, unless you take me out, which is almost impossible, I'm just going to get stronger. So anyway, I was working on Wall Street, and then um, I left working with Stevie Cohen, set up a fund, and then I got poached to run a fund in London, which became the biggest hedge fund in London with this guy named Jonathan Laurie. And I set up all U.S. equities for him. And that's the first time I met an Aussie. Right, because now the Aussies are all over the East and West Coast of the United States. But when I grew up, there were no Aussies. We had Croc Dundee. That was it, you know. Now they're everywhere in New York selling flat whites in, you know, Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, which that's, that's another story that blows my mind. So all of a sudden I met an Aussie and I, all of a sudden I had all these Aussies working with me. And they used to have pictures of Bondi Beach and Brighton Beach on their desk. And as a little kid, because half my family's from Miami, I always wanted to own a hotel. That's it, man. I just, I just love the idea. Like, of a, like a pub? Like or a or boutique hotel. Like where you stay. Delano. Where yeah, you stay. stay. Yeah. Because I, 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 I love people. I love them. And I like experiences. So I was like, I'm going to own a sick hotel. So at 30 years, old, 30 years old, I was like, dude, I'm leaving Wall Street. I don't like the ethics. I don't like betting on other people's company. I've always been very entrepreneurial. I'm going to move to Sydney. I'm going to move to Bondi Beach. What the I fuck? Think like, Bondi that's, that's, Beach. that's radical. Like My mom was pissed I was living in London. You know, Then I moved to Australia. <laughs> it was a little bit further. And my best friend was moving here. Met an Aussie in New York City. And like the Aussies, you got to be careful when you date the Aussies, right? They always come home. And uh, he came here. His background was in fashion. So we set up shop. I remember coming. It was half the dollar. It was like 2002. And every time I met an Aussie, like, no worries, no worries. I remember Brad and Robert, we're like, we're like these neurotic New Yorkers. I'm like, all we do is worry. I mean, we do it for a living. And we set up shop here. And we were in, we had one of the biggest fashion distribution businesses, export. We own like Sass and Bide and Floor Wood and, and all these great Australian uh, fashion brands. We set up one of the first wine bars ever in Sydney called Local, which is in Five Ways in Paddington. It was gorgeous. We sold it to Manu Fidel, the French chef, who's a character. Uh, I married an Aussie. Uh, I had two beautiful Australian daughters. I'm not married anymore, but I have a great relationship with her. And, and, and I, I split custody with my kids, who I absolutely love, who my mom can barely understand. And uh, we set up a record label. Wouldn't do that again. And, and then I miss Mexican food. 
So during this whole time when you talk about failure, man, I was losing so much money. So what period, give me, what, how much time are we talking about? Are we talking about uh, like five years or? or did, I came here in 2002. Yep. And uh, the fashion business is 2003, which lasted for a long time. The restaurant was in 2004. The record label's in 2004. And Guzmani Gomez was starting to get built in 2004, 2005. So there was a lot on. What was going on? Like, what, what, did you say you miss fucking Mexican food? Like, uh, is it, yeah. is it so such a big I, deal? Yeah, it's such a big, like and Mexican food's Americans? like pizza. For, for Americans. Yeah. Yeah. We grew up with Latins, right on my street. Like, you know, and Guzmani Gomez is named after friends of mine. But we grew up with Hernandez, Rodriguez, Gonzalez, you know. I remember going to all these Mexican restaurants. I thought they sucked. And 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 a sign of an entrepreneur is that you can do it better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I remember at this point, well, we you were think losing, you can. Well, you think you can. Yeah, right. That's a very good point. You yeah, think yeah. you can. And maybe one day you will. Yeah, right? yeah. So I remember going to Robert, my business partner. At this point, like the fashion business in the U.S. is starting to turn. We're bleeding turn money. Which way bad. Bad. Yeah. Right. The record label bad. Yeah. You know the uh, the wine bar got to sell it. You know. What happened to the hotel? Oh, I couldn't. So I, I found a building in Bondi Beach. I couldn't zone it. I didn't realize how overgoverned Australia was, and I and I just couldn't get it done. So I had to scrap it. But I wanted to stay. I mean, I really loved. I loved it here. And so, so at the Mexican restaurant, I remember my, at this stage of my life, my mom called it the race to bankruptcy. She's like, "Why don't you just come back and work on Wall Street?" Like, what are you doing? You're obviously not good at this. I said, "No, I will be." Age I'll at the time. Age. Age. How old? Age. I'm thirty. I got here when I was thirty, so I'm thirty-two, thirty-three. Right. Right. And with two little kids. So I remember walking into Robert's office. I said. I figured it out, man. I got it. He's like, oh, Jesus, here you go again. And Robert's kind of conservative. I'm, I'm the other way. I said, sit down, sit down for this. I said, we are going to reintroduce Mexican food to the whole country. He, he always says to me, why us? What, what do we have to do it? I said, because we know how it should be. And the Australians love it, but I know we can do it better. And that's the beginning of Guzman y Gomez. We brought chefs in from Mexico. We named it after friends of ours. Like so I to, forgot. Well, coming to my Guzman, like who are they? Who are these two dudes? So, so really, it's named in honor of friends we grew up with. Like we grew up a lot of you know uh, Guzman and, and Gomez and Gonzalez, and I just put names together of old friends of ours that I thought was great, and I knew the Aussie short and everything. So I loved the sound of GYG, you know, and I loved that it was in honor of and our friends. But it's funny when we we built the brand, which was done with this guy named Tony Ibbotson, who's this Kiwi guy, who's a freak. One of the most talented guys I ever met. People were like, you can't call Guzman E. Gomez. So the letter Y in Spanish is an E. So it's Guzman Y, then Gomez. Yep. They go, they don't know what it is. So I was going to ask you what it is. I, yeah. I, or wondered. Gomez. So people were like, just call it, shorten it. I said, I'm not shortening it. And I think it's because it means something to me. And I will educate people what it means. It's, it's my brand. It's my soul. It's going to be my food. And it has to mean something for me. How am I going to fight for this thing unless it means something deep to me? So people used to call Guzman, why Gomez? I'm like, it's not a question. You know what I mean? It's Guzman E. Gomez, you know? And then people sorted the GYG. So we opened up our first store in 2006 in Newtown. All Mexicans, brought chefs in. Everything at GYG is completely- Actual Mexican. Rather actual Mexican. From Mexico. Yep. But I think, you know, part of that is that I think when you, when you build a business and it's going to be successful, it has to be yours. And when I say yours, not that you own the whole thing, which is obviously important, but it's yours. Like every detail of GYG Explain was it. mine. Explain it. The artwork was mine. The pictures were mine. The food was mine. I didn't copy anything. Not from anybody else. You know? So for me, it's like if this thing is going to be a success and that's why I built it for, I, I can't be like, when somebody's like, so what's it like? Well, it's a little bit like this, a little bit like this. GYG is GYG. My systems are my systems. My people are my people, right? Our culture is our culture. Nothing's taken from anybody else. And I think to explain that a little bit more detail, so we opened up our first store and uh, in Newtown, and it's still there, it's 13 years old. It opened up doing about 15,000, now it does about 80,000 a week. And um, 
And I had more people in the kitchen than the dining room. I, I didn't know really what I was doing, you know, but in theory, I knew I want, what I wanted to get done. And uh, since I was losing money on that store, I opened up another store, Little Bondi Junction, that had about 15 seats. This one had 20, had 15 seats. Because my thing is like, well, if they look busy, maybe people will come. That one opened up doing about nine. Now that does about, last week we did 73,000. Then I opened up King's Cross. Are they franchises? Oh, you own them. Are they stores? I own them all. Now those two are franchised. We'd say the stores we have in Australia now is about 130. We own about 30 plus, the rest of franchise. But what happens when you build something, and and it's funny, the people that were coming into Guzman and Gomez loved it, just not enough people knew what they were eating. So as you start to lose more and more money, at one point I was losing about 25, 30,000 a week, right? And this is when my mom dubbed it the race to bankruptcy, is that- People are like, what are you doing, man? Are you going to stop? I said, no, man. I think I had a record on a Tuesday at King's Cross. And somebody said, that's not a sign. I'm like, it is a sign because I can see it. I mean, I can feel this thing. And what happens when you like pain, there's this there's evolution, right? And there's innovation. So what happened was I was like, you know what? Fuck it. There's not a lot of people that live in Australia. I refuse to compromise on the quality of my food and my people. I'm going to build the best systems possible. And that's what I did. I built my own sticker system. I built my own kitchen delivery system. And what in time we built was the fastest fresh food operating platform, I think anywhere in the world. And that transformed my business in time. So I think the key point when you say, you know, when I talk about pain, pain brings innovation. Well, if, if as, long, as long as you choose to respond that way. Yes. Some people, oh, it's the pain. And someone else has got to help me. Someone's got to fix it for me or I can't fix it. One of the, yeah. And, and I mean, I, you just said on something really important. Um, you refuse to compromise um, the brand, the branding, or the name Guzman yeah. E Gomez, which means Guzman and Gomez. Um, you didn't, uh, you didn't cave into all the Aussies or, or all the people, I should say, who were trying to tell you how to run your own brand because you knew what you believed in. Yes, this concept of belief, because I mean, I get you've been at this now what fourteen years? Yeah, yeah fourteen years. So what's really important here is I'm getting, what I'm getting from you is apart from fucking plenty of intensity, that's very <laughs> Gary V style, like it's fucking full on, which is good because I always say successful people are always intense and prolific. They're prolific in what they talk about, what they preach. And they're, they're preaching, not, you know, we say practice what you preach. Good business people preach what they practice. So they actually tell everybody what they're fucking doing. Yeah, true. But the thing Every that- day. Hundred percent, all day, every day, <laughs> all, all day, to fucking everybody, to the extent that they're actually pra- they're practicing what they're thinking all the time. Uh, I, I'm trying that on you. I'm trying that you. I'm trying on you, and I'm actually articulating in my mind what I really want to do. But what I want to ask you is this: after 14 years, you got to keep your energy up. The business must have a certain energy. How important is to you in order to keep the belief in the business, not just yourself, but everybody, all your franchises, all your staff, everybody? How important is it, do you think, if you go right back to the beginning, that you didn't compromise anything? In other words, everything is as you originally perceived it. I mean, obviously you evolved it, but as you originally perceived it with evolution, how important is that, that control for you in order to continue to keep the energy going? In other words, because like for me, in my business, if all of a sudden, you know, I'm a very heavily regulated business. I don't know about your industry, but Yellow Brick Road is a heavily re- financial services, heavily regulated I find it difficult sometimes to continue to believe in my own business because the regulator waters down what I do. They dilute what I do. And it's sometimes really hard for me to lend money to people I want to really lend money to because the regulator tells me I can't. And I really want to lend money to everybody. I want everyone to have a crack and everyone to have a chance. Everyone should have yeah, fun. So I'm trying to keep my belief up in my business, but I'm, I'm continually getting watered down. How important is it for you to keep the belief in your business by, and maintain your position? Hold firm. Don't be letting them water you down. Tell me about that. 
It's fun. I think early on when you build a business, and I was very controlling early on, right? I wanted to make sure everything was to a certain standard, right? And people were respected a certain way. Like culture is everything to me. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that comes in as you build a business. Businesses can't get to a certain level unless the people that are with you for the journey, you trust, right? And you give them autonomy. Like I'm, I actually think, I mean, I, I, I know this business inside and out. I know what I'm not good at. Right, and I bring the people in that are excellent at what I'm not good at, and I give them autonomy to run that part of the business, which is very key, you know. But part of the control is if, if you bring in the right people along the journey that share your values, and I think sometimes that's that's overspoken and gets a little cliche, but it's really true. Yeah. If the people yeah. you bring along with you, your investors, your franchisees, believe in you, and I think myself having the control and having certain aspects as I see the business, no compromise on our people no compromise on our food, no compromise in the experience, that in time, like when you say you practice with your peach, you, you develop true credibility. My franchisees know I wake up every morning and think about them every second. And the most important thing is, is that they're buying into GYG and I say they buy into, into my dreams and the dreams of GYG, I have to buy into their dreams, right? And there's an accountability to one another that's real. You know, and I think they feel that. So it's kind of, I mean, where you want to lend money, I want people to believe in GYG, even though I own restaurants, they own restaurants, that at the end of their life, I want them to be like, that's the best fucking thing I ever did. Yeah, yeah. You know, because the relationship was real, the communication was clear, and, and that's the trip, because they're buying into it because they want that experience, and it's our job collectively to keep it at a standard. And like, you know, I'm an intense guy, right? I got a huge heart, though, and I'm very generous, but I'm intense because I want to build the best restaurant company in the world. And if you let everybody think that you're slacking, then the experience slacks and everybody thinks it's okay. How do you it's draw not- them up though? How do you draw them up to that? Because not everyone wants to be the best in the world. So how do you draw them up? Some people just say, oh, look, I'd like to be the guy in the world square. That'll do me. How do you bring everyone on your journey? I think that's fine. If you want to be the guy in the world square, then you better have the best restaurant in world square. Yeah. So my thing now is it's about, it's, everything's about energy, right? And as we get bigger, right? People are like, oh, are you worried that uh, culture is going to be diluted? No, I don't, I don't even, I don't even understand that. If you're getting bigger and stronger, your culture gets tighter. You know, I say to my guys, I meet with them quarterly, all my franchisees and obviously my people, I'm like, we're getting there, right? We're, we're, we're at this point where people are gonna try to come after us and knock us down, right? But our revenue, and this is sort of like, when you believe in what you build, you know how I believe in what I build? My revenue goes up. I got a product that people want. You know, that doesn't lie to me. And I think some entrepreneurs believe, I got something so great. Are you selling a lot of it? Not really. Well, maybe it's not so great. Mm. You know, I make sure that I'm building a product that people love, you know, and I'll stay flexible. Like, I wanna sell a lot of food. Right, I want to reinvent fast food. I want to. I want to be the next biggest food player in the country. So, how do you do that? You got to have a product that people love, and you got to have people running these restaurants that want to be there and want to engage with your guests. And the energy's got to come from me, from the top all the way down. You know, we were talking about earlier, Mark, is that you know, you know, for Yellowbrook, you're in your stores, man. You're dealing with your franchisees. I am with my guys always. And my whole thing is, as you get stronger, the the intensity comes on because everybody's going to try to knock us off, and that's when you got to get tighter. Like my energy is all around getting tight, man. We got to get tighter and tighter. It was like, yeah, Steve, we do tighter, tighter. But it's true. We only have 139 restaurants. McDonald's got 30,000. Chipotle's got 3,000. We got so long to go. But I How also good? know it goes How from, good? yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Well, you know? it's, it's funny, you know, because- It's just the beginning. It's it's sort of an interesting thing because people always say to me, the distribution is a game. You're, you're in the game of distributing a product, a great product with a brand associated with a whole lot of other stuff that goes behind it, of course. But in that distribution process, um, you've got to bring everyone on your journey. And everybody says to me, oh, well, is franchising a way to go, et cetera? There's all these different ways to distribute. I, but 
what's really important here is all the stuff, your like your backstory, your your back of house story about how you keep everybody engaged in your in your system. Because you just said qu- quarterly meets, quarterly meets? Yeah, roundtables quarterly. Do you have annual awards nights? Annual awards. Yep. RM conferences. Yep. Nonstop. I think they like to see me. I'm not sure, but they, they see me a lot. Yeah, because they want to see you, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, and they, I want to see them. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the important part. You want to, you want I to ha- get more out of it than they do. You want to hang out with them. Yeah. So there's a whole system that you build and you've built of interaction, engagement between the corporate part of the business, you and others, yeah. and the customer-facing part of the business, your distribution. Yes. And there's a whole lot of shit that goes on in the, in the middle, which we're not going to get into right now. We're getting into the second half. But I guess how long did it take you to realize that whilst you thought oh, I might franchise this, how long did it take you to realize that, okay, I might franchise them and I might have 130 of this, but all of a sudden there's got a, there's a shitload of work I've got to do and no matter how many people put in the middle of it all, I still got to be there. Did it take you a while? Did you did you at any stage you start saying, oh, I've got 50 or 30, I'm cruising, it's all good, they're all just going to keep turning their business over and I'm going to make money and I'm going to, it's going to be great for me or did you always know? What, what when, when did that dawn upon you that it's so important for Stephen to be in there every day? Yeah, but I mean, you, I mean, it's a retail business, right? So if you're not in there every day, then you, then you, you lose the feeling of what's important, right? I, and I never want to get disconnected from my guests. I never want to get disconnected from the guys in the restaurants, right? So for me, I, I looked at it as that you got to constantly reinvest. Like we're just we're just starting to make a little bit of money after 14 years because it's just reinvesting. Like, are my people supported? Are my franchisees supported? Do I have the right technology in my restaurants? That, that's an important. But can stronger? I just stop you? They're really, yeah. really important. My business, is Yellow Road, reported its first profit this year after 10 years. Congratulations! And, and it takes like, time. It takes time. But I got a 57 billion dollar book of mortgages <laughs> under management. 57 billion. My revenue is 250 million annually. But I pay away 200 and up until recently, 232 million of that or whatever it is. And uh, because I just- People forget that. I've been reinvesting. We're going to do $300 million this year. We're just making money. Let alone we have a good infrastructure and great- fa- Like I'm sure what you did the same for me. I built great foundation. Yeah. Right? Because it wasn't like, hey, 30, this is cool. I'm going to coast. We're not stopping. Right? So I know if we're not going to stop, we're going to add all these restaurants. I need a foundation and the foundation takes investment. So I've never been shy. And I think a lot of people make the mistake. I've never been shy of reinvesting. I do it nonstop. One of the big things I had, which, which I'm sure, I mean, I hope you agree with is that as you build a business, you have all these parallel lines of, of, of growth, right? I got to make sure my business is growing, but I also got to plan for the future and what that looks like. And when we had about restaurant after restaurant five, after pouring all my money in, right? And I think as an, as an entrepreneur, you got to be all in. Like I meet with people now and I'm sure you mentor. Hey, you know, I want to leave working at this advertising agency and I want to start my own. Oh, that's good. How much are you putting in? I'm going to put like one-tenth of my savings. Put it all in. How's your marriage? Not really good. Well, you may get divorced. And all of a sudden they go, I thought you were supposed to be uplifting. I'm leaving depressed. I said, because you're not ready. So I also know when we got to restaurant five that I needed to find an investor. But I needed somebody that understood the journey, right? And, and I remember Robert was saying we were running out of money. You know, even though the restaurants were starting to turn and we were about to, we were breaking even, Robert's like, I think you're getting too picky. I said, I said, no. I said, this will be successful. And he always says, well, how do you know that? Because it's our money and we're not going to stop. And I think that's the mindset. Like when somebody said, oh, you're entering the U.S., there's a lot of Mexican. Yeah, I understand, but we're going to be the best. How do you know? Because we're not going to stop till we are. And that's the only way I see stuff. So with, with, with partners also, I want to find the best suppliers. I want to find the best investors. So when we had restaurant five and needed money, 
what was the best restaurant company in, in, in Australia? What is? McDonald's. So the guys that built McDonald's, Pete Ritchie, Guy Russo, Steve German, Charlie Bellow, eventually, unfortunately, obviously passed away. They came on board. Oh, Pete's there, is he? Yeah, oh, Pete Ritchie. Yeah. They've been there for 10 years. And Guy Russo was the CEO here, turned Kmart around. They moved me from store five now. And the great thing with them, you have to team with winners, right? Guys that have built it, but people that are ethical. Like Pete, Guy, and Steve are some of the most beautiful people in the world. You know, and they get it, man. McDonald's, the first McDonald's that ever opened up in the world was outside the U.S. was in Australia. They've been through pain. Is that right? Yeah. They thought uh, after the Vietnam War, a lot of Americans would come to, to Australia and they opened it. Pete Ritchie was, was the first guy ever to open up. Pete Ritchie's a beautiful guy. It's, they all are. But, and these guys are great at franchising, great at real estate, and they actually have a great culture. And they invested in GYG because of my team, my food, my culture, and what the brand stood for. And it was a great partnership that exists to this day. And we obviously brought another investor about a year and a half ago, a company called TDM with Tom Cowan, which is probably the best investment house right now in Australia. And these guys purely believe in product and culture. And, um, and I think this is why GYG's braced for some great growth. Like we're doing double digit comps now. We're the fastest food company because I have the right people. Okay, I want to talk a little bit later about finding investors because that's actually an art and there's science attached to it as well because a lot of entrepreneurs who have great business ideas don't know what the journey is in terms of finding investors. Funding is an important thing and you need patient capital. Yes. And, and there's a way of getting and around intellectual that. capital. Totally. And so I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that in the second half um, and, I, I, and I just want to finish off this part of the, the, the story about what you've done at, at Guzman and Gomez um, and we talked about the belief and we talked about how you held hard onto your – values and you know your values more in relation to the customer but in terms of your product the actual menu i'm intrigued how do you build a menu like how the hell does that work i mean do you have a big menu team or how did you do it in the beginning and what do you do today yeah well we're a food company right so it's amazing you see people's values our number one value is all about the food and i'm relentless on food right on food quality one of the biggest turning points for gyg is that I think as a food company, you have a social obligation, right? A moral obligation to serve good food to people. And I think the funny thing- what does that, that mean, good food though? Traditional fast food to me is not good, good food. It, it, it basically solved a problem for society, right? They needed something that was really good value, really fast and really convenient, right? So my whole thing was we opened up a drive-thru four years ago in Narang, and that was my light bulb moment. And, in uh, Narang in Queensland. In Queensland. Yep. Cracker spot. You know, and, and especially for a food business, everything we believe in is obviously AAA real estate. You want to be in front of as many people as possible. And good demographics. And good demographics, yep. yeah. But all of Australia is a good demographic. I mean, that's the beautiful part of living here, right? People are like, what's your market? I'm like, everyone. Yeah, yeah, right? totally. I mean, there's only 25 million people. I need everybody eating there. But the light bulb moment was Narang. It was our first drive-through. And the way our kitchens are set up are perfect for drive-through. Because um, we have a double linear, instead of a linear setup, like a subway, I have a double linear. And it's almost set up like the kitchen structure of, of what McDonald's is but it's very different. So we had the same experience times as McDonald's, but I really truly felt we had one, one major difference was our food. McDonald's serves a purpose for their guests, but our food is clean. And it's sort of, the, the, that was the light bulb moment. It's like, this is what fast food should be. We need to reinvent fast food. And I went on this huge, massive food kick is that I wanna make sure that our menu is clean, no preservatives, no, no coloring, and no unacceptable additives that are in our food anywhere and it took three years i mean from a preservative in our tortilla that gave itself like i want it out i want just food i'm going to sell french fries i just want potato just potato 
No preservatives, no additives, no coloring, nothing. Give me a potato. And you, and, and you would think that was easy, and it's not. And I was so determined, and, and we did it. And how do you price properly then? Is this stuff more expensive? No. No, I mean, no, I, 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 I mean, in terms of cost. Yeah, well, I went, you know, and then I, we went on this whole animal welfare thing. We were the first fast food company to serve free range chicken, not RSPCA, none of that. Pure free range chicken from Lilydale. That was more expensive. I thought they were going to fire me for my own business. But I wanted to make a stance. I said, guy, we got something, guys, we have something special here. Yeah. Let's make a stance. Let's make a stance on animal welfare. Let's make a stance on, on clean food. We got a chance to change the way people eat. And I believed in it, and 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 Pete Ritchie and Guy and Steve German and Tom Cowan and T, they all believed in it. You know, they believe in what GYG stands for, and we just went for it, and we launched Clean as the New Healthy. Like you know, I mean, you, you're a very fit guy, Mark, right? And you know, what I mean, and you, you talk about your boxing. People need to eat clean food. Mm. It's unacceptable, and I and I take that so serious. But some other people, apart from me and you, other people need to have it available to them. Yeah. And, I mean, and, those guys don't have the opportunity. So it's my obligation to serve my guests clean food. A hallmark of an entrepreneur, everybody out there who's listening, you listen to this. A hallmark of an entrepreneur is not only to have a good idea, to have a good idea that's going to make a fucking difference. That, that, that drives things, that drives your brand, that drives people to follow you, that brings people into your organization, helps you recruit franchisees, it helps you find investors. It does a whole lot of stuff and it actually builds belief. It's something to believe in. Your business has got something to believe in. Yeah. I'm doing something different, I'm changing shit. Okay, I'm back from the break. I'm here with Stephen Marks. Now, he's the founder of Guzman and Gomez, along with other people, but it was his idea originally with his partner, Robert. Yeah, Robert, Robert Hayes. Uh, okay, so he's still in? Yeah, I mean, he. I feel bad he doesn't get a lot of credit sometimes because I'm a little more needy than him. He's probably, I like the he's probably fucking happy. <laughs> he's, he's actually in the States right now, growing US, the he's USA He's probably happy. So you go up front, I'll just sit back yeah, here and I'll the, take I the, the front, dividends. I do the front, he does the back. So I, I, I just want to, I, I think for the audience, this is really important, like to me, to be honest with, for our audience, it's quite a privilege to um, have someone like you in here, by the way. I want to thank you for that. Um, it's a privilege for our audience to see how you take something from an original idea, how you battle through all the problems and you prosecute what you believe in, and you turn it into a fucking great business, and you get investors, et cetera. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, and we're going to talk about systems and processes, which sounds a bit boring, but I know it's important. Um, but one of the things, I just want to quickly summarize a couple of the hallmarks of a great entrepreneur for me. And I said it right at the end of that uh, segment. Thank God someone has got up there and said this. A good entrepreneur, a great entrepreneur, one of the non-negotiables is that he or she must believe in something that's going to make a change, a permanent change. So in your case, you want to make fast food good food. Good food mean good for you. Yes. Not going to hurt you. That's a, no. that, that's a really important thing. The second thing, apart from being a great idea and a, an idea that's going to make a change, is that you build belief around what you're doing. So you, for me, being uncompromising in relation to everything you do, whether it comes to the food menu, whether it comes to how you price your product, whether it means that um, I'm not going to make any money for 14 years. You're uncompromising because you're trying to build something and, and you're trying to build a distribution. You want to take this good for you food and provide it to all those people who probably ordinarily wouldn't have access to this good for you food. And if you're priced around the same number, they're always going to choose you or at least they're going to put you in their menu of things they choose during the week or during the make month. Make sure that, yeah. And that's that's important. So. The third hallmark of, of someone who's a great entrepreneur is that 
they have a state of mind where they choose to be positive and they choose to take the pain and not only just take the pain, not in a suffering sense, been, yeah, give it to me, whack me, hit me. Uh, everything, every single challenge is good. It's cool. I'm enjoying this. Bring it on. So they're three really important hallmarks. I mean, I didn't really have to, I mean, I didn't brief you before you came in. This is just, that's why I love this one because it's straight up you're answering all the questions people ask me on um, Instagram and all the other places. You are killing it. You are you are a typical, you're not any typical New Yorker. To be honest with you, I think you're a typical Sydney bloke. Yeah. People from Sydney like that. Sydney and New York to me are similar in a lot of personalities. We're a little bit more laid back, but we have that fucking, you're not going to stop me. No, the Aussies have that. I love that. Now, I, I want get to into, get into this. Investors are important. I mean, it's great to have a great idea, but you sooner or later you run out of money, especially when you're a young fella. Or at any age for that matter. Or there might be a point where you just don't want to invest anymore. You, you know, you've got families. You have to keep some money aside for your family. Um, when you go to see an investor and you said you went and saw a number of investors, um, you've got to give them a good story. And the good story has got to be something that you can absolutely prosecute. You can put your hand on your heart and say you 100% believe in. So, you know, good food, good value of food for everybody at the right price and accessible at all points of access. In other words, franchises. How important was it to your shareholders, your patient shareholders, your patient investors after restaurant number five, was it that you, Stephen Marks, got to see them and stand in front of them and tell them something that they're not only going to invest in but they also believe in as an ethic? How important is that? And explain how you do it. Yeah, I I think, uh, you know, when you look at – equity, right? What you own or your business. Some people are like, well, I never want to give any away. Oh, that's, that's actually that's not killer. the right. It's, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, you, you, you want to win. I talk about winning all the time, right? You want to create something that, that is successful, right? And if you own a little bit less and it's obviously greater value, that's, that's, that's the win. A right? smaller I mean, people, percentage of a bigger pie. Yeah, I mean, people should learn that like in first grade. I mean, that's, that's, that's business 101, right? It's mathematics. M- mathematics. The big thing is, which, which is so true is A, you have to have a product. So when, when, when Pete and Guy and Steve, you know, sort of came on board, they loved the product. They believed in the future of the product, the systems, and the ability to, for revenue, right? You need to have sales, right? No sales, no business. The biggest mistake that people have when they build something, they don't know how to make money. Mm. I think they think it's something negative, right? Let alone, we, we can say we haven't made money, you know, because we're reinvesting but the business is making money. We just decide to reinvest it for future growth and future strength. And that's one of the key things that, that my investors have taught me is like, yeah, Steve, you know, we love the way you talk about your brand. We love that you're so involved in the food, so involved with your team. We got to make money, right? And that's so important, right? To have a business, it's about revenue and profitability. And returns to your investors. And returns to the investors. Like for GYG's thing, it's about revenue, EBITDA, profit, and return on investment. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand that, right? Because a lot of them are creatives, right? It's unacceptable to build your business and not know the economics of how it works and being commercial. Not acceptable. Then you, you'll never win. Then you're basically building something where there's no, no end sight of, of achieving something. And I think with investors is that you need to find investors, number one, that you want to share the journey with, but share the success with. Like, it's so important to me. Like that, That's good, but you did that. But how'd you find these guys? Because they are, as you said, ex-McDonald's and various other yes. food franchises. Yeah. 
did you say, okay, I've got a food franchise, I'm going to find these sorts of dudes, or did you get someone in between you and them? How'd you do it? Yeah, so anyway, we got invited to uh, to a dinner, and there was a guy named Richard Bell there who had a company called 1-800-REVERSE, and, and I knew that um, Pete Ritchie and Steve German sat on his board. So we got talking, and he said, you know, you know, I got these guys that built McDonald's that sat on the board. Would you like to meet them? I said, of course I do. You know, and I knew McDonald's was such a success, you know, and, and we met uh, Pete Ritchie and Steve German and Guy Russo. You know, at that time we were looking at other investors and I, I didn't want the other investors because they didn't understand the journey. Like McDonald's, you know, even though you look at it's made as a huge success, they didn't make money for 10 years also in Australia, right? And, um, and they, at that point, McDonald's bought Chipotle in the States, which is the biggest Mexican player. So they understood that. And I think Pete sat on the board for that decision. So they knew what the journey was going to look like. They knew that it was going to take time. They bring intellect. They, they they invest in me and my team. Yep. But they have like you called it patience. I call it intellectual capital. There's a lot of money out there. You need money that's going to help you, right? Because otherwise, they, if somebody if you get an investor just gives you money and they can't help you grow, it's kind of useless, right? Because they don't know what kind of return they're looking for, even though they may be good numbers guys. Steve German, Pete Ritchie, and Guy Russell understood the journey, and they knew they weren't gonna. And I'm a strong guy, right? They're not gonna really push me around, but they believed in me. And they believed in the product and they believed in how we were treating people, right? And they believed in franchising, which they, they pushed me towards, you know, but they knew that you couldn't compromise on the product of your people. And they knew it was gonna take time, right? And they gave me the time. They didn't put pressure on me and neither does TDM, right? We run a very tight business, but we don't take our, our eye off the ball of what's important, our food and our people and our guests and making sure our business makes money. Tell, tell, tell the audience what should they expect when they get the likes of um, Peter and Guy, et cetera, like to, to join your, uh, your, your, uh, you as an investor? Yep. Yeah, we call um, the family. And, yeah, what, what's, what, what to expect? I mean, because there are times, because I mean, I had Kerry Packer in there and like there were times where there was pressure. I mean, Kerry did apply pressure to me on many occasions um, because he was an investor. He, he brought a lot of um, intellect to the business and I, and I got a lot out of it, like especially in terms of marketing. But there were times where he would say, well, you know, when are you going to put the fucking interest rate up and increase your margin? You know, when, when you got enough customers to start to take more margin from them instead of being a discounter? Yeah. When? Uh, he was always having the conversation with me. Um, what were your pressure points? What, what do people, what should audience expect when they bring investors in, good investors like you found, relevant investors like you found, who have the understanding to allow you to, them to be patient with your business, what are the pressure points? What do they sort of say? Get a new CFO. We got we need better reporting, or uh, do they challenge you about your menu? Do they challenge you about product? What do they do? They challenge me on everything. When I when I say and we have an amazing relationship, it's not all fun and games, man. This is this is an intense. Like they invest not to lose money. They invest yep. to make money and build something. So what special. Is, what are my audience going to expect so here? They need they want governance. So what do you meet every governance. month? I meet well. I speak to them almost every day. I speak yep. to the guy every day and Tom Cowan almost every day. They want governance, right? They want to make sure your business is run correctly. And nothing's going to fall between the cracks. Nothing, right? Yep. right? And everything has to be ethical. You need ethical people. Like I'm so convinced that you need to build a great business and you need ethics. Got to pay your people. Got to pay your suppliers. Mm. Got to pay the government. You have to pay. And you got to make sure governance is proper reporting. Are your numbers accurate, right? You can't bring investors in unless you have a, an accurate view of what your numbers are. Right, you need to have your accounting has to be tight. Your software system of of how you report financially has to be tight. And what happens when you bring in great investors like that? They help you. So I have a board meeting on Thursday. It's not them sort of what are you doing? What are you doing? Because they're involved in the journey. It's kind of like Tom. I need help in finding 
um, somewhere I can measure my culture in my restaurants. Guy, I need help with real estate. You know, Steve German, I need help with these numbers. We're a team. So I think the most critical part is finding people that are going to help you build your business, not just critique you. And not just put money in. And not just put money in. You need help. I've seen people just get raise money and it's actually become a problem for them. Because p- p- the people who they raise the money from are just cash investors or money investors. All they're interested is when am I going to get my money back plus a profit? And I, it goes okay for six, 12 months, but then all of a sudden you start getting pressured by them. Whereas someone who understands your business like you do, they're in for the long haul. Yes. And they're always willing to help you out. Yes. So, and you've got to be prepared. As you said, governors, that's a really important thing. So you would not have got these investors if they had a thought your systems are up to shit, if you didn't have a good accounting system, if you didn't have good reporting systems, if you didn't have everything written down and manualized as to what happens from the moment a franchise opens its doors or more importantly, from the moment the franchise, potential franchisee rings you to say, I'd like to buy a franchise. But, but Mark, back in the day when I had five restaurants, and I, I think people have to know that this is all part of the journey. Like, yep. I'm not saying when you starting business that that's going to be something you have already in place, but they know my intent was right. They knew I was a, a, I was a good person and I was ethical and I wasn't going to cut corners that was going to basically cause disruption or, or negativity for my business. So I think as, you, as, as investors in small businesses, I'm not saying you need right now to have the most robust systems, but you need to be working towards that. Yeah. And, and that you, is what's And key. you need to let them understand that that's what you want to do. Exactly. And you have to know it's important. Yeah, yeah. Like I think the investors know me, I'll never cut any corners. I will not, I mean- I may make a bad move, but I'm not making bad decisions that it's that are going to hurt the future for GYG. And do you, do you uh, socialize things that you think are critical decisions with your investors? In other words, do you ring them and say, "Look, I got, I'm going to do this strategic change," or do you take your your next business strategy for the next twelve months? Do you take it to your investors? How do you how do you yeah, socialize? Well, we have strategy this? days. We have board meetings every two months. Like the world's always changing. For for a food business, I worry about food safety. Mm. I want to make sure my food everything's safe, which we we do a very good job of. And labor. Employees. It's a big issue. Employ- totally. I want to make sure my guys are paid. 100%. You know, and, and you see it in the media a lot now. It's it's very hard to to articulate and, and understand fast food awards and everything. I want to make sure I do that well. And now it's cybersecurity. Right? Cybersecurity is a huge thing these days because there's so much data out there. I want to make sure my guests are always protected. Tom Cowan, for instance, TDM, they invest in so many tech companies and he does so much due diligence. He helps a huge amount on the technology front. You know, so find investors that are that have knowledge that you don't have. Mm. Like when you, and that's why I call it intellectual capital, because you will need help. If all of a sudden you're growing a business and you have investors that all they care about is return, return, and they're not helping you, they're going to put so much pressure on you. And if you're not sure, you're going to cave in. Yeah. And you know what happens when you cave in? You cut corners. When you cut corners, then your revenue diminishes. When revenue diminishes, so does profit. And there goes your fucking business. You're done. Can't do that. Totally, totally. It's it's sort of interesting because um, that, that sort of happens when you list your business a bit, to be frank with you, because um, when you list your business on the stock, stock exchange, wherever that may be, your investors are uh, financial investors and they're only interested in, interested in the end of the year profit number and are they going to get a dividend? That's all. And has your share price increased? That's all they give a shit about. When you're choosing your investments or well, people say, well, I'm going to build up my business, then I'm going to find investors, then I'm going to list my business on the ASX or somewhere else. I love when they say that. You Here's do my five-year plan. Have you any idea, <laughs> like, what the hell? Like, uh, I've been down those tracks and uh, it's not all that perfect. I mean, I listed on the ASX because there was no, in the period when I got Yellow Brick Road up and running, it was the middle of GFC, so there's no investors. Good timing. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> opening up a financial service business in, a, in the GFC, you're fucking joking, we're not going to invest. And... Uh, 
and all the people I knew who were investors, they had lost a shitload of money, and they were they were playing defensive, so they were just holding on to their dough. Um, so it was a bit counterintuitive at the time. But you need to really be absolutely crystal clear that you can't be crystal clear on how you're going to find your investors and who's going to invest in you in the future. So, but trust your intuition. Don't trust be so your gut. No, they're right. Yeah, but you can't live your life being so prescriptive in the sense of saying, well, no. that's what I'm going to do because I saw someone else do that. I mean, to be honest with you, it's probably better not to be listed in my view today. I think today it's better to be privately owned, you know, and if I could somehow do that to my company, I would because I think the privacy environment is, the private environment is much better than the public environment because there's a lot less um, unnecessary scrutiny. And what I mean by that is this day and age of social mediums getting hammered left, right and centre, and that can actually get in your head. So I want to drag our discussion into, because obviously you're a marketing organisation, you're a retail business, you've got to market your business, you use all the usual social mediums. First, tell me how heavily you rely on social mediums and how you go about executing on that. So what do you do? You have an agency, you have it in-house. How do, how do you operate? Almost always in-house. Like it's, it's kind of, you know, uh, our chief marketing officer, Larry Tom, is, is fantastic. And, and the team that we have at GYG is fantastic. Any any content that's about GYG, and I'm, I'm the I'm, I'm unfortunately the face of GYG, and I'm always on the farms and filming a lot of different stuff. Is that it's our soul, right? You can't outsource your soul, right? So anything that's about GYG, the content that's important to us, we do everything in house, you know. So our thing is that, and and we don't want to create noise, right? I want people to love us, you know, love us because we do the right thing and we have a lot of fun and we're serious about food and we're serious about our team. You have to figure out how to get your content right. It has to be real. Like I always say to Larry Tom, if you could ever take GYG's logo out and put somebody else's logo in, we lose. That means it's not special. It's not ours. We don't own it. You know, so I think that the big part is everything's about revenue. You got to drive revenue and you got to know the economics of your business. And, you, and the only way to drive revenue is to people to fall in love with your product. So my thing, my product's got to taste great. It's got to have value and people got to know about it. Right, so and where instance, they can get it. And where they can get it. Yeah. It's convenience. That's why we got 40 drive-thrus now. Like I, I want to do breakfast, lunch, dinner, 24 hours. You can have it by drone. You can order on the app. You can have it by delivery. I don't care. I just want you to have it. So I want people to know about our products. So social media is, is huge. We also, we open up these restaurants. We do free burrito days. We give away like four to 6,000 burritos or bowls every time we open up a restaurant. People are like, Steve, why do you keep doing that? You already have so many restaurants. Because it works. I want people to try my product. We spend so much time and so much training and so much effort to make sure the avocado's a certain way and our free-range chicken's grilled a certain way. Like, it's so important, and I never take my focus off that. So social media helps us attract people to come into the restaurants, and then my team is there to deliver. You have to deliver, right, on an operational side and tell us it's food. So, yeah, social media is huge for us. So, and, and like, there's a lot, I know a lot of people use social media, and they, they just think it's all about um, putting content up there. What can we just go one step further now? Um, how do you analyze your social media? Do you, do you actually employ people in your organization who scientifically look at the data? Because you know it's it's all very well you have you know hundred thousand people following you, but like only five of them engage, or if only five of them actually buy something from you, that's all bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like when you deal with marketing companies. You know that PR you got? That was like $10 billion. Right? I'm like, what the fuck are yeah, you talking about? Yeah, 100%, man. I, hate like it. it's, uh, I, I refuse to listen to those stats. It just shits me. I know when Lara and our team put something on social media, did I sell more or not? Correct. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, this is what it was like before, during the campaign, and after. So we do analysis on everything. Like, so you analyze This is shit. one thing. Yeah. And, like, and I think you agree. Numbers never lie. Yeah, 100%. Right? Everybody can have a different perspective that's subjective to me. I need numbers. So make sure... 
that make sure it goes somewhere. You know, that's what I saw. Yeah, and don't believe you your know, own don't bullshit. Don't waste it. Don't yeah. waste it. I mean, it's money. Look how many clicks I got. Yeah, like, got I'm like, I don't care. I want, I want people coming to my restaurant. Yeah. The most important thing is that I have more people coming to GYG because they believe in what we do. They believe in my franchisees. They believe in my food and they believe in experience. Some people will not like you as you get bigger. I don't care as long as I know we are doing the right thing. I, I mean, I, I could talk about to you forever um, I'm, on this, but I've been asking you lots of questions. Do you have a question you want to ask me? Yeah, man. First of all, I want to thank you for today, man. It's, a, it's obviously the first time I've met you. I don't believe in age. I don't believe in young age. I don't believe in age at all, but I believe in energy, you know? And so somebody, you know, like you has obviously had successful businesses and I'm sure you've gone through a lot of pain as well. How do you stay mentally on it? For me, like everything is about my mind. Like my mind's got to be sharp. How do you stay sharp? Yeah, well, uh, I have a big regime. So I'm, I'm, exercise is a really important thing to me. So, and I don't exercise just to, I don't want, I'm not, I don't give a shit. I'm not trying to look buffed or anything like that. I exercise for exactly that for my brain. So physically exercise to take my stress away, but I physically, I exercise physically in, um, in terms of trying to improve my health generally for my brain. I mean, I, I don't drink. I mean, I occasionally have a drink. Had two beers yesterday, which is pretty unusual for me, but I don't drink much. I eat very, very healthy and I train. Everything I do is for my brain, everything I do. Um, If my brain is fresh, in other words, I can wake up fresh and clear, um, I can perform better. And for me, my whole life is a performance. Everything is performing. I don't mean just performing financially. I mean performing to what I set my goals for every single day. So when I wake up, I wake up really early. I'm Same. actually ready to fucking go. I'm really looking to go. So I'm 64. Um, for me, I take the view, and it's funny, I had a conversation with my dad on the weekend, and my dad said to me, he said, um, how many, my dad's 86, he said, how many summers do you reckon you've got left? I said, Dad, well, get, assuming that I live through the average age of an Australian male, I might have 20 more summers to go. And my father said to me, do you know how to, do you, and my mum and dad have always been at me about, just, just pull back a little bit and do, do a bit more for yourself. Not, be, not to be um, uh, indulgent, but to do more for yourself because if you do more for yourself, you do actually do better than what you do do day to day. And my dad said to me, he said, would you like some more summers and more, would you like to have more than 20 summers? I said, I should, I would. He said, well, then why don't you go to Greece every year in the Australian winter? And he said, you just doubled your numbers to 40. <laughs> That's good. And the point he was trying to make, the point my old man was trying to make, and he doesn't say much, my dad, but the point he was trying to make was that you need to do, you need to, during the downtime, the dark time of the year, I'm talking about the seasons, you need actually to do something for yourself. Take off, go to Greece, Italy, wherever it is, wherever it is somewhere it's summer, and enjoy the warmth, enjoy the, and, and build your, rebuild yourself. Your energy. And if you, correct. And if you do that, you build your energy back instead of sitting back denying. So I don't believe in denying yourself. No, I agree with you. In a physical sense. You've got to go and feel the warm breezes. I don't mean go out in the piss every Friday. I'm talking about that. I mean, you should actually go on in a natural, natural sense, nature sense, go and experience and don't deny yourself. And even if it costs you a lot of dough, it's worth investment. Yeah. And that's where you get you. That's where I get my energy from. And I've always done that. I've always gone to Europe mostly in, in, the, in Australian winter. Um, and I come back so refreshed. I come back with a million ideas. I love, I love sitting on an airplane for a long flight. I love it. Yeah, nobody talks to you. So where I get my energy from is I actually purposefully set out to maintain and create my energy. And at the end of the day, I'm just a whole lot of uh, electrons and neutrons and protons and uh, chemistry, and I've got to make sure everything is firing properly. And then I can live my best life. Yeah. 
Steve Marks, it's been an absolute yeah, pleasure, yeah. to be honest, yeah. here, having you pleasure here. Pleasure to meet you as well. It's so cool. Yeah, definitely. And so that's been Richie for me. I definitely He's will. a good man. You're with a good team. You've got a great franchise. I'm actually walking out of this podcast today with a lot more energy because I've actually met somebody today who I've often wanted to meet. And I'm actually proud to say that I've had you on my podcast. Thanks, man. Thank you very it was much a good for having story. me. It was, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you. Thank you.